Hello and welcome to Food Systems, a podcast from the Forum for the Future of Agriculture, where we discuss ideas that can shape a sustainable food system, from farm to fork, from policy to consumers, and everything in between. I'm your host, Robert DeGruff, and you can find us on Twitter at Forum for Ag. These episodes will be available every other week on all major platforms. Before we get started, we would like to say a quick thank you to the FFA founding partners, the European Landowners Organization and Syngenta, as well as the FFA strategic partners, Cargill, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, the Nature Conservancy, Thought for Food, and the World Wildlife Fund. Please enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome back to Food Systems. Today we're talking to Adele Jones. She's the Deputy CEO of the Sustainable Food Trust and we'll be discussing true cost accounting. Adele, thank you so much for joining Food Systems today. No problem. It's, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on. One of the reasons we're talking to you is an article you co-authored in Nature in December 2020. We'll put a link to this in the show description so you can read it for yourself. Um, I just wanted to start, can you give for our audience a brief overview of true cost accounting and how these models are put together? Absolutely. So true cost accounting effectively is a, is a new way of of looking at how we how we value things and how we value the impact that a company, a person, um, or anyone might have. So effectively, true cost accounting doesn't just look at the kind of the the, the traditional financial um, profit and loss of a company, let's say, but it also looks at the impact on the natural environment and public health and puts a value on those impacts and then factors it into the profit and loss effectively. So what you end up with is uh, an adjusted profit and loss based on your financial performance, but also the impact on nature and health. So this is very close to, we've had previous guests on this podcast, a sort of uh, ESG is that what we're talking about? Environmental, social, governments, but that's more in the corporate area. So is that is it to help everybody find out the, the true price of their production systems? Is that is that the area that we're in? Absolutely. So it's it's similar to ESG. It's certainly a cousin of one of the solutions we need to run with. But I think true cost accounting is is broader. By placing values on externalities, as you say, it means we can find the true cost of products because it, we're not we're not just looking at the, the financial cost of producing that carrot, let's say, but we're also thinking about its environmental impact and its impact on people when they eat it, and of course the workers who produced it as well. And when you factor all those those things into that cost, um, it either gives you an inflated cost because the environmental impact was higher than we realized or the health impact was higher than we realized or actually sometimes it, it can be lower because the environmental impact might have been very positive and therefore you can you, know, you can kind of offset some of that that cost because it was produced in a, in a very positive way so um it's it's a really interesting discipline and i think it's a massive part of the solution in terms of how we fix our food system going forward. This is an area that's seen quite some development. I think the first encounter that I had of it was of a quite a famous report done in 2012 by the TEEB uh, group, which did this 
try to put some value specifically on biodiversity assets. Um, but that was in 2012. We're almost a decade later. How much closer do you think that we are to Im implementing something like true cost accounting? I think in some ways we're closer and the TEEB work stands for the economics of ecosystems uh, and biodiversity for agriculture and food. Very long um, title, uh, but it does what it says on the tin, I suppose. It was a, it was a really kind of foundational report uh, in terms of bringing all the experts around the world together um, and trying to think about how we value these natural assets and you know, social assets um, and and factor, their, factor them into the, the cost of food. And I, I don't think the progress that's been made since then has been kind of exponential. I think what we've realized in the last 10 years, I suppose it, it almost is now, is that in a way, perhaps we potentially put the cart before the horse with some of these true cost accounting frameworks in that um, we st were starting to gather an idea of how we value these um, natural, social, produced capital elements of food and farming. But what we didn't yet have was a common way of measuring those things on farm um, in the first place. So it's very difficult to start meaningfully valuing externalities, as economists call them, until you have a common way of measuring those those external impacts in the first place. And, and we believe at the Sustainable Food Trust that that common framework of measurement should begin at the farm. And it should be a suite of metrics and indicators which empower farmers to be part of the change. And so they can really easily see you know, the steps of continuous improvement that they can take. Um, and, you know, if we start to collect all this information on things like soil health, biodiversity, water quality, air quality, all the way through to things like animal welfare, social capital, human capital, as we refer to them in true cost accounting world, you can start to get a real sense of, of the sustainability of that whole farming system. And then from that, you can then start to value those externalities uh, and start to shift the balance of financial advantage towards farming in a way which um, promotes you know, positive nature, uh, mitigates against climate change and produces food in a way which uh, it contributes positively to, to public health and, and strong communities going forward. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how such assets should be valued. Um, how does one assign, I suppose so one of the easier things would be water because water pollution is quite measurable. It's quite easily measurable as well. But how does one assign a value to biodiversity assets on a farm? Uh, and how does one compare the two? Let's say a small woodland with, with pheasants and butterflies in it versus a hedgerow versus a strip for, for butterflies. How, how does one assign monetary values to that? It's really hard to do, to be honest. And I think biodiversity, I would argue, is probably the hardest category um, of things to, to value. And there's a whole conversation about, you know, should we be valuing things like biodiversity? What is the true value of a butterfly or a, a pollinator? It's, it's actually a really, really hard question to, to answer. But I suppose the counter to those arguments is that until we start to place a value um, on some of these things, companies and politicians won't act because they won't necessarily see how important they are as part of our economy and part of our you know, future well-being as a nation or a planet. 
And so you can you can kind of argue it both ways, but I, I think the, the situation we're in with climate change and nature degradation, declining public health, obviously we've you know that's front and center given the situation we've all been part of over the last couple of years. Um, the situation is so severe now that I think if we don't start to value these assets and that politicians and business leaders don't start to understand that they are actually a fundamental part of you know, our economy, but you know, our wider well-being as a society going forward, then we won't be able to fix the problems fast enough. Um, and so going back to your question of how you value biodiversity, there's a few different schools of thought. And I think there's work, some really interesting work being done to try and consolidate some of this thinking. You can, for example, think about, OK, what you know, what's the economic um, value of pollinators in a particular place. And you can think about that in terms of, okay, if we got rid of all pollinators, God forbid, uh, what, you know, how much human effort would have to go into <laughs> effectively, you know, hand pollinating an orchard or yeah, yeah, manually pollinating an orchard or some, I don't know, fancy robot or something that could do that. And you know, it's the cost is just unthinkable. Another, th another way of thinking about it is what people would pay what they would pay for a kind of recreational place or you know, woodland or hedgerow, what they would pay to make sure that continues to stay there. Like how do, how do they value that? How do they value going for a walk around the lake at the weekend? What would they, what would they pay to, to do to go there and, and visit that place? Um, and, and perhaps, you know, what would they, what would they pay to make sure that place didn't disappear? Um, that's another way to think about it. It's a bit more subjective. Um, but I think ultimately it's probably going to be a mixture of a few different things. And going back to um, the, the the farm level metrics that we at the Sustainable Food Trust are, are really passionate about through a project called the Global Farm Metric, which is trying to create this common set of metrics for measuring whole farm sustainability. If we can start to get farmers all around the world measuring their biodiversity, um, whether it's directly measuring their biodiversity, for example, thinking about key indicator species that they see on their farm, birds, insects, etc. Uh, or um, at, at the very least, just recording the practices that they are operating. So for example, if, if farmers are using a herbal lay in a rotation as part of their cropping and livestock system, then you can depending on what type of herbal ray the lay, the, the length of the rotation, etc, you can derive a fairly accurate understanding of what the biodiversity benefit of that practice might be based on literature, based on you know, evidence, case studies. So it's a whole mixture of different things. I think we have to start measuring biodiversity to get a better sense of what good looks like in different parts of the world. We have to start understanding what the economic value of those things is based on a few different techniques and then we have to sort of bring all those things together and, and come up with a way that policymakers and businesses can start supporting the transition to farming which um, is in harmony with nature and improves nature whilst producing healthy and nutritious food at the same time. But this does presuppose a certain amount of existing both knowledge and time on the part of the farmer to do such recordings. Is that, do you think that the average farmer in, in the UK or, or in Europe, let alone the developing world, I suppose, is that knowledge present? Is that sort of that time present for farms to do such a thing? It's a really good question and a, and a big consideration. And I would say in, in some situations, probably no. But I think we forget, particularly in, in kind of um, developed 
world nations with farmers, we forget how much farmers already do in terms of having to supply information to different sources. So, for example, their certification schemes, government grant applications, compliance requirements, um, carbon footprinting tools that their contracts might require them to do now, these sorts of things. Uh, and actually, when you start to look at that data, you realize that actually to do a whole farm sustainability assessment, it's much of the same stuff. And so if we can find a way of harmonizing the way we measure impact on farms, it doesn't actually mean that farmers have to collect the information again. It just means we can we need to draw it from the, the places that farmers are already sending information to. And of course, you know, thing measurement techniques will change over time. Technology will change over time. So we need to be we need to be kind of constantly evolving the way we measure things. But I think I think, it, of course, there's some parts of the world where farmers are going to need real help, um, particularly in smallholder communities. But I actually don't think we have a choice. I think we have to start understanding the impact of farming and find ways to help farmers go on that journey. Um, this brings me to a related point. Uh, I'm qu quoting from the article uh, in Nature. Um, the idea of measuring and monetizing food system impacts is not about creating sellable assets. So if it's not about creating sellable assets or, or, or I mean, you are creating value categories, uh, if these assets always remain theoretical and are not placed on a market, how do, will they make a, a functional difference in biodiversity or water or any of the things that the desired outcomes that I think we would all want in terms of sustainable food system? Yeah, so I see true cost accounting as a as a discipline or a toolkit which enables change to happen. So the implementation of true cost accounting within our economies throughout the world is not the end goal. The end goal is the things that that will then lead to. So biodiversity restoration, um, improved water quality, improved air quality, more nutritious food, you know, the list goes on. True cost accounting is, is effectively a means to reaching that end mission that we are all on. And so I think that that quote where it says true cost accounting is not necessarily about creating sellable assets. I think, I think what it's trying to say, it wasn't my quote, I don't think. I think what it's trying to say is that we are creating a discipline here which can then be used uh, to drive further change towards our end goal. So I think from true cost accounting, you can obviously derive a value on sellable assets, for example, carbon that's locked up in soil or in trees or biodiversity. And there's, um, there is some initiatives now, as I'm sure um, your listeners are all well aware about, you know, carbon trading, soil carbon trading, um, offsets tree planting, um, biodiversity net gain, these sorts of things. Um, and I think we can, by valuing the externalities, I think we can use those mechanisms to drive positive change. But I think it, those sorts of new markets which are emerging, which I do, I do think are really important, I think it makes it even more important that we're using common metrics to, to inform those new markets. Otherwise, I think it could be subject to a whole load of greenwashing, um, different schemes you know having their own bespoke way of measuring impact and you know how authentic that really is is sometimes hard to know so i think we all have to use the same metrics to to measure change um and you know measurement is a is a means to doing other things and driving further change so i think i think that's what that that quote means that's certainly my interpretation of it
we we already have significant numbers of farm data that do tell us certain long-term trends in terms of things not going very well. Um, what does true cost accounting add to those metrics that, that hasn't that 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 we don't know, or or and if it's not implement if it's implemented but not used. How does true cost accounting push this movement forward rather than just adding more numbers on top of an existing pile? So true cost accounting effectively turns those numbers into into a value, into a financial value that we recognise um, in economics. And, and what it means is that companies can then start to factor it into their into their P&L and balance sheet each, each year and understand what they can do to drive change throughout their supply chains. It also means that policymakers can start factoring it into their budgets. And this is quite difficult because as, as we all know, policymakers tend to operate on quite short time cycles, sort of four years or so. And actually what we're thinking about here is how we can safeguard our environment for future generations to come. That's you know, really long-term, but crucial planning that needs to start being factored in. So what true cost accounting does is enables us to start to see the change that needs to happen in a slightly different way. And I suppose put it into a language which economists, policymakers and others can understand how they can start to, 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 to kind of make change happen uh, and start to you know, really value the, the importance of those ecosystems in our economies. And, and that, that's not currently the case. So that that's where true cost accounting comes into play yeah if i may summarize sort of if that's correct you put a monetary value on the externalities negative mm -hmm. and positive that we right now don't pay for is that a reasonable yes, that's a good summary okay there's a different piece on your website a study i think in 2019 where you showed that for every pound i think it is in the shops there's about 97 cents uh pence apologies uncounted for externalities Will we ever get to a point where then that becomes that turns into an actual true price, and therefore are we talking about doubling consumer prices? Yes, that report, um, the hidden cost of UK food, was was really interesting, and I think was was the first of its kind, really putting um, the you know, putting these these true costs into a practical sense and saying you know that from a uk perspective the food we are buying in the supermarkets is as you say effectively costing us one pound more than we realize and just to break down some of those figures for example within that that one pound um it was about 20 25p uh environmental degradation um or natural capital degradation 10p of biodiversity loss 13p of production related ill health 37p of diet related ill health um, and then there was the rest of the the, the money was made up of um, things like farm support payments um, research and, and imports so actually what you know what consumers pay at the till is is not the true cost and and often we have no idea that we're paying for these you know paying for the, the cleanup effectively in these other ways which is kind of criminal when you start thinking about it do you envision a world then where these costs are fully actualized and we do say or politicians do have to say or, or or the supermarkets are at some point forced to say i'm sorry but you know the loaf of bread that cost one pound is actually two because you the consumer have to pay for the lifestyle that you lead or the choices you make or is that a, a vision of the future i think it's it's an inconvenient truth that food uh, is one of the only commodities that hasn't increased with, with, with 
inflation over the years. Um, it now represents a much smaller part of our um, our expenditure monthly than it used to. Um, obviously, there's there's so many other things we pay for now: mobile phones, uh, Netflix subscriptions, whatever it might be. There's there's lots of other things which are an important part of our daily life now, and therefore food has been shrunk down into a, into a smaller part of our of our spending. So we do need to think about food in, in a slightly different way now, but it is incredibly cheap. And it's, and as we've been talking about, it's, it's not really cheap that, you know, the cheap food that we see in the supermarket is it's supermarkets is actually costing us so much and it might be costing us so much, but in the future. So it might be costing our children and grandchildren the right to uh, go for a walk in, in the woodland that we love. And I think I think when you start thinking about that, you start to realise that it's you know it, the system is broken at the moment. But it doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't be thinking about okay, if true cost accounting is is really implemented by policymakers and by businesses, the cost of food might go up, particularly the cost of bad food, unhealthy food, food that's damaging the planet. And and we do of course need to think about how that Im impacts low income societies. Um, I think there's some really interesting initiatives around the world. I really like the um, initiative in, in the US. I know it has its problems, but um, the Double Up Food Bucks initiative um, that I think was introduced in Washington DC where food stamps were, were given out to people under a certain income threshold, uh, but those food stamps were worth double if you spent them at the farmer's market. And I, I think things like that are really interesting. I think that there, there's some there's some ways that I think government can step in to help bridge this gap because everyone should have access to healthy, sustainable food. But I think we need to address the fact that at the moment, the way food is priced is not right. And the cheapest food is actually the most expensive. And it's just something we need to face. No, I think that's, that's certainly true. But this way of, of doing it with true pricing and then and encouraging people to, to have the right food. It does have a sort of uh, um, dirigiste way of doing it because what you're doing as a society or as a government or as a multinational corporation is saying to people, being prescriptive and saying, this is the food you should be eating and the other stuff is not. And that sort of seems to me to go against the current consumer economy that we have, where we just say, no, no, choice it's all your choice yeah and i think i think it can be about choice going forward i think increased um, transparency in our supply chains is going to be a thing that's happened i think uh, all you know big food companies small food companies are thinking about the fact that generally consumers want to know more about where their food is coming from now uh, and there's obviously some really amazing uh, technologies and techniques starting to emerge where we could effectively make our supply chains totally transparent from where that food, you know, the exact farm that food came from and the journey it's been on to get to yeah. us buying it in the shops. And I think if we can if we can make that that process super transparent and again have common metrics for communicating the impact to consumers, you know, for example, the impact on nature, the impact on climate, the impact on health and well-being. I think it can then be about choice because you can you can see, OK, let's say it's, it ends up being a traffic light system. You can see that, oh, that that apple is actually all green. Um, I can see that it 
cost a little bit more because it let's say it was from an organic system but i can see that's having a really you know important impact positively on nature climate health so i'm going to buy that one rather than the one that's all orange so i i think it can be about choice but i think it's also about giving people more information upon which to make decisions i mean a lot of this very much depends on on a deep political will uh, to engage with the levers of the food system to really make fundamental changes in a way that a lot of people haven't seen for decades, I think, in their own sort of consumer choices. Do you think the the will to sort of to politically engage is there at the moment to really tackle this issue, either on the UK level or, or, or even globally? We've just had the UN Food System Summit. I think the political will is starting to emerge. I think what we need to remember with politicians is that they will only act when they feel the pressure from the public, because um, really they're thinking about polls at the end of the day. They're thinking about what's going to win them the next election. So if we as a community of people working in food and farming and trying to affect this change, if we can find ways to shift public opinion in favour of transparency in supply chains, wanting to know the story behind their food, wanting to eat in a way which they know is contributing to the climate change uh, solution and nature solution, etc. I think if we can start getting people to think in that way about you know, what, what can I eat to be part of the solution? What can I eat to, to, to be sustainable and healthy and start to ask politicians those questions? I think that's what's going to drive the need for them to think about how sustainable food and farming really fits into the future economy and that's where true cost accounting can really play a role and there's a political term called the polluter pays principle which um, is is what we are advocating for in terms of negative externalities accounting for negative externalities and what it means is effectively those who contribute negatively to environmental degradation negative public health outcomes, for example, the overuse of nitrogen fertilizer, which runs off into water courses, water companies are having to pay for the treatment of that, we're actually paying through it for it through our water bills. Um, it's causing health impacts, it's causing biodiversity loss. If you factor all those costs back to source, overusing nitrogen fertilizer doesn't become a very good, good business case anymore. And, uh, and that's where the polluter pays principle, if government can start to introduce that, I think that's really going to drive change very quickly. But a lot of that, if you're talking about the actual point of where the, the negative externalities come from, is, is very often the farm. But we've spoken to a number of farmers on, on this podcast and they say, well, we have, we want to do better. We are trying to do better, but we have very limited economic choice in really reshaping our models because we simply don't have the money to get the latest technological updates that would allow us to reduce fertilizer use. So you would have to have substantial help to transform the farming sector as well, because otherwise you're just putting an extra financial burden on a sector that certainly in the UK and I think across the world is really already in, in, in a very dire financial situation. Yeah, absolutely. And we have always taken the approach at the Sustainable Food Trust of trying to think about this from the point of view as, of farmers. We're an organisation that's run by, by farmers, which um, is always great in, in kind of grounding how we how we view these things and the solutions and just want to sort of emphasize that I don't think the current situation we're in is is the fault of farmers at all. I think they have been following the business case. They're business people at the end of the day. Um, and they have been following the economic signals that they've been given by the 
food industry and the government, and that has been to produce as much food as they possibly can at as low a possible cost. And, that, and that's because we're not costing the impacts that that type of system has, ha has had over the years. And now we're starting to see this slightly differently. So I think what we need to do, as you really rightly pointed out, is effectively think about how we can make this transition to you know, what we might call regenerative agriculture systems, the no-brainer business models for farmers. It shouldn't be something which burdens them financially. It should be something that they see as an economic opportunity. And there should be uh, means and ways of helping with that transition, because of course, any transition is going to take a bit of time. It's going to be a bit disruptive, uh, but it has to it has to be the best business case for producing food. And the way to do that is by internalizing externalities back to the farm, uh, making the negative the practices which are causing negative impacts more expensive to do and making the practices which cause positive impacts the most financially beneficial through government payments but also through incentives from food companies who are sourcing from those farmers well speaking of transitions uh, the uk is currently developing its own new uh, farm support systems after leaving the common agricultural policy do you expect true cost accounting or similar strategies to play a role in in that or are you interacting with the uk government on bringing this about in this new ag support system whatever it ends up being i think slowly but surely yes i don't think i don't think it's going to be quite as prominent as we might have hoped 10 years ago but i think you know we're making we're making small steps now um for example in wales um which is where i've spent quite a lot of time with the policy team recently um they are talking about introducing a nit nitrate vulnerable zone across the whole country um, which effectively means kind of tighter regulation around the amount of nitrogen both both organic and inorganic that you can put onto your farming system at different times of the year making sure livestock are not too close to any water courses so manure doesn't kind of flow off into the into the rivers because there's a huge um, issue with nitrogen pollution in welsh rivers so uh, these sorts of these sorts of things are kind of stepping stones to the full implication uh, sorry introduction of true cost accounting and i think i think it's positive to see there's obviously some upset in the farming community about these sorts of things because it's change and they need to be as we were talking about before they need to be helped financially to make those changes it shouldn't it shouldn't be something which is detrimental to them but it's 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 effectively the first iteration of the polluter pays principle coming into play albeit just sort of by raising the regulatory floor so i think i think we're getting there i think the the, the new schemes in the uk have a potential to be to, to be very positive i think there's a there's a bit of lack of ambition. I think we were very ambitious at the start and we've slightly reverted back to thinking about farming and nature being two separate things which need to be incentivized when actually the, the, the crux of what we need to do is, is put nature back into the center of farming systems and make sure we, we find ways to farm in harmony with nature rather than let's farm intensively on this bit of land and have nice nature on this bit of land. It's about, let's, let's put it all back together. That's how it's meant to be. That's how we used to produce our food. It's exciting, a long way to go, lots of hurdles still to climb um, and lots of pressure needed on our politicians as ever. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask the last question, which is the same we ask of everybody, which is if you had one 
policy suggestion or practical farm idea to make the food system more sustainable, what would it be? Well, I think anyone that knows me knows that I'm obsessed with measuring things. And I suppose I'm cheating slightly because it's linked to the true cost accounting issue. But it goes back to what we were talking about before. We need farmers to start measuring impact, Um, even if it's just one thing measuring soil or measuring biodiversity. We just need to start getting an understanding of our baseline in terms of where we are right now. And from that, we can work out where we need to get to. But if we just start to incentivize all farmers to to start measuring their impact, I think it's going to inform so much policy decision-making in future. And I can't really see that until we have that, we can get a full sense of where we need to go and how quickly. So that would be my sort of number one policy suggestion is as part of the new schemes, as part of cap reform, as part of the farm bill reform, introduce an annual sustainability assessment as part of those schemes, just to start collecting that data in a common way. Uh, Adele Jones, Deputy CEO of the Sustainable Food Trust. Thank you so much for joining Food Systems today. No problem. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to an episode of Food Systems, a podcast brought to you by the Forum for the Future of Agriculture. Look for us in two weeks when we release our new episode. And in the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe on your podcast app as well as on Twitter, at Forum Frag, for updates on this podcast, news, as well as FFA events. Please check out our website, www.forumforagriculture.com, for more great content. Thank you for listening and enjoy your day.